Hey, folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout-out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time now. Hopefully during the 2017 season, you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field, the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field, the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club. Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, We've been in there for other functions, and certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity and will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, it's a great all-around venue for anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, Seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed. Now, if you want more info, go to fsuclubseats.com or fsuchampionsclub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. It is that time again, only with an exclamation point this time around, KJ. Maybe even two of them. Because nothing, nothing is exciting as getting that schedule in your hands and looking at it and saying, this is good, this is bad, this is where the ACC screwed us, this is an automatic win, and that one's going to be a loss. And And, that's what we're going to do today. And where are the road games that we're going to? Where's the boys' trip? Well, that part we knew, we just didn't know when. For For example, even though Syracuse has a dome... I'm not going to argue with visiting Syracuse on September 15th as compared to, say, November 17th. Well, but it could be hot, and therefore the dome would be cool, and that would be advantageous as well. Did you know there's no air conditioning in the carrier dome, though? I did. I was setting you up to see if you remember. I, I do. I and do. it's the it's, carrier dome who makes air conditioning yes, in it. Yes, yes. And if you've been a longtime listener of this show, you understand the inside we've joke. already gone over that six times, <laughs> so we're going to skip that. The uh, FSU schedule is out. The ACC released its schedule. Caught everybody off guard. Um, this week when the ACC communicated that the schedule It'll was coming this soon. When I say cut everybody off guard, even FSU Athletics didn't expect it coming this week until 48 hours ago. They thought this this is typically is more of a later January, earlier uh, February. But I'm, I'm going to subscribe to this theory, Keith. And this – so the SEC – they know which week the way they do it. Everybody, the rivals, play, you know, everybody plays the same weekend. But, but bottom line, a lot of the scheduling has to do with ESPN and TV influence. And the ACC had been further back in the queue about getting their schedule assigned because they weren't the most desirable games. But the league has gotten better of late, and that might be part of the reason that they can map out their schedule because the TV networks are like, oh, we we do want to put Clemson there. Clemson's been in the playoffs, still have Florida State, so maybe it has nothing to do with that, but I'm going to go with that. It'll make me sleep better tonight. I will agree. All right, so this is what we have right now. If you ha- And you probably have seen this by now. We've known. Labor Day night, Virginia Tech, Doak Campbell, first game of the Taggart era. What you got? I like it. Remember, the whole concept of playing college football games on Labor Day night was a result of the Miami-Florida State rivalry. 
and Virginia Tech with Fuentes uh, as their head coach and uh, their improvement over the last couple of years. Obviously, it will be a tough game to begin uh, the Taggart era, but these are the types of games that Florida State uh, has been used to playing. This is not a, a number one ranked Alabama in Atlanta, but it'll be Labor Day night. Uh, everybody watching, and uh, I like I like the matchup, and and candidly, I like Florida State's chances in it. We're going twelve and zero when we go through the schedule today, right? That's this is how we get the hop train up out of until control. up until September. We're all twelve and zero, or shortly therefore. Good point. So then, five days later, you get Samford. Coach Bowden will go to that game. No, and I'm not sure that Willie Taggart has a Samford tie. I mean, we had Bobby, we had Jimbo, there were Samford ties. I'm not sure there's any Samford ties. You picked there. right up on that. We've been doing this a while. Have we you we have this? been. So I have been pointing out for probably 23 months or so, Keith, that the way this year's schedule sets up from a games in a certain amount of certain time frame period, exactly the same as 2016, where the third game of the year was the third game in 12 days or whatever the math is. And Louisville beat us 164 to 6 or whatever the score was. Just one difference. One big difference. This year, Florida State will play at Syracuse. So it's a conference opening. Well, it's not a conference opener, but it's a conference road game. Third game in 12 days at Syracuse. They don't have Lamar Jackson. Would that be the That's difference? the point. Now, they've got a very good quarterback and they've got a very high-tempo offense. No question. Is Dungy back for another year? You know, I do not know the answer to I that. I feel like that, he was a junior this a, year. That's more of a, 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 a June or July question than a, than a January question. The only way to avoid this based on the non-conference schedule, though, would have been either to sub Syracuse there for any of your other road games, i.e. Louisville again, Miami, or NC State, or to take your bye week in week three, which you weren't going to do. You don't want to do that. And, well, and you don't want to take three bye weeks early in the season either we've we figured out that that doesn't work yes uh, that we saw that last year i'm thinking two bye weeks is where we're ultimately going to end when they finally pass that rule that we can start a week early yes where you can start a week earlier anyway so virginia tech sanford at syracuse then you get northern illinois on september 22nd uh that'll be parents weekend in tallahassee and that'll be another win, right? Are we four and zero at this point? Uh, Willie Taggart is off to a great start. Right now, we're four and zero. Right as we sit here right now, nobody has scored a point on us. I didn't say that we had blanked everyone. We just w- won every game. I'm saying as we sit here right now in middle January, nobody going shutouts. has scored a point on You're us. You're going shutouts. No, I'm just saying it's a fact. Nobody has scored yet on us. We haven't scored on them either. November 29th at Louisville. Uh, the upside here, no Lamar Jackson. Also. Bobby Petrino can't have spent his whole off season and summer preparing, preparation for. preparing for Florida State because he deep, will have had to play because it's deep enough in the schedule. Correct. So uh, that it can't go worse than it went last trip to Louisville. No, no, nothing. There's not a road trip possible that although, could be worse than the last road trip to you, Louisville. You and I and others had a great trip to Louisville right up until kickoff. Louisville was great. The people were great. The game, not so much. Yeah. Okay. So that's. Uh, that's no that ends September. So the end of September, we're just we're five and zero. Oh, we're humming. There you go. I have no idea. Could be three and two. Truthfully, <laughs> hopefully not two and three. Uh, October sixth at Miami. So this is the first of of two back to back conference road games that are on the schedule this year. So you got at Miami, October sixth. Let's go upside. Upside is that's where people have wanted this game. It's where Jimbo wanted the game. Not that people in this town care a lot about what Jimbo thought anymore, but that's you think traditionally you think Miami and Florida State early October fifth, fifth sixth game of the season. Uh, if you had to bookmark it, you would bookmark it first weekend in October. 
I guess would be the way to say it, and it works out that way this year. Then you get your buy, and then you decompress. So we're sitting there, so either you know six and zero or not, <laughs> and we're catching our breath. Six and zero or something else, or something else. Yes, um, we're being facetious because we can. There's an awful lot of questions to be answered between now and then. It's a pretty tough schedule, though. We knew it was going to be tough. It's it's a representative schedule. If if it weren't for the new coach, if it weren't for having come off of a seven and six season, if this was the traditional getting ready for the new year, you would look at that schedule, Tommy, and you would say, if you're victorious in that schedule, you can get into the playoff. Right. I'm not going to go so far as to say Florida State is a playoff contending team in 2018, but... In other years, the schedule would have been a very good schedule. Yeah, well, and and the good thing about seven and six this past year is that the hype train will not be out of control because coaching transition, a lot of people left early for the pros. Nationally, the media is not going to say Florida State. Florida State's not going to be a topic in the national media at yeah, all. Yeah, so other other than having a new head. There coach. will not be a bullseye on on the back. All right, so you get your bye week October thirteenth. Then you get Wake Forest at home, which will be homecoming for Florida State October twentieth. Good spot for homecoming. Demon Deacons come in. And let's be honest, it's been a dogfight ever since Clawson took over for Wake Forest. They keep getting better and better. Then late October, which is where this game, late October to early November, sort of a three-week period between last Saturday and October and Veterans Day weekend is where the Clemson game is, has fallen lately. That'll be fun. October uh, 27th, the Clemson Tigers will come to town. I like it. You like it. I like it a lot. And we're 8-0 now. We're cruising. I mean, there you go. So what if the entire Clemson senior class or junior class decided that they didn't care about first-round NFL money and they're coming back for their senior No, year? that was just the entire junior defensive line right? that decided they didn't want it's money. Only, it's just like the Fab Five coming back from Michigan for basketball. It's like the Fab Five for Florida coming back for basketball, what, a decade ago, 11? They're just trying to get positioned. It's not like it's millions of dollars and generation and life-altering money, Keith. It's just another year. You might get hurt. So what? It's fun to play at Clemson. Yeehaw. <sighs> anyway, if you missed that announcement, uh, four key guys for Clemson announced at their banquet over the weekend that... Uh, They're coming back. That while the NFL pastures may be greener and their bank account may be much greener... They're coming back. You can't beat the wiffle ball court stadium field i want another year of the opportunity to go down the slide all right then we get to november 3rd november 3rd is a day that hopefully doesn't live in infamy but it's at nc state and that has not gone well in the bowden era hasn't gone out well in the jimbo era the good news is it's not a thursday it is not a thir- and it is actually, not a Thursday. Actually, there are no Thursday or Friday night games on the schedule, are there? Well, there was rumor that the Boston College game later in the year would be played at home on a Friday. That is not the case. We'll get to that in a minute. But more importantly, the NC State game is not on a Thursday. That might be the best news of this schedule. So that's November 3rd. Then you go to Notre Dame, November 10th. Now, that'll that, be a big game. That date has been out, and that time is set for 7.30. That's a night Saturday game in night. South Bend. That, that's going to be on NBC. That will not even be on Espen, correct? Yep. So wear your muscle shirt, KJ. It'll be nice and warm on November 10th Ooh, at doggies. night in South Bend. Yeah. But what happened last time we went up there, Tommy? Last time we went to Notre Dame, if you're talking football, because mm-hmm. I wasn't there for any of the basketball trips with you. No, I'm strictly talking football. It was All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame, pretty Catholic. They well, were, they were not worshiping properly. Florida State shut them out, thirty-seven to nothing. Yes, Chris Crow, Ricks, Crow Thorpe, two hundred two yards receiving. Exactly right. Leroy Smith, who I see around town, local coach. Yep. Pick six. Yep. 
Fun times. And then 11-17, uh, a week later, Boston College comes to town. I'm happy to have Boston College in town instead of on the road for a change. I'm happy to have Boston College not on, Hill, not, not on a Friday. Not on a Trips to Chestnut Hill did not go well for football or men's basketball this year. Uh, Monday night this week? Hello. I was there. All right. And then... Probably the surest thing to a guaranteed win on the schedule, the game against the Gators on November 24th. Always, I mean, that's always. all we do is never beat the worry. Gators never on an annual basis. I mean, Five in a row now, chance to make it six. They can change coaches. Doesn't matter. We can change coaches. Doesn't matter, right? So that's November 24th, Saturday after Thanksgiving. There you have it. So count it up. Uh, we're either 12-0 and 0 or we're not. Or somewhere in between. And um, if you're in the mood to celebrate 12-0 and 0 or to drown your sorrows because we're somewhere in between... Madison we have Social. a place. Madison Social, good place to go. Talk to the folks at uh, For the Table. You go down to Centrale, you get some some pasta, make you feel some comfort food there. Or if you just want to go hardcore, you can go over to Township, get start. Whatever you want to do, they they've they've got the remedy. Ask what the glass special is. They always have a glass special. And tell them that uh, KJ said it would be a good idea for them to go down there. I agree. I said it would be a great idea. We'll come back and get uh, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt's reaction to our bold prediction that Florida State will either be 12-0 and or not in this coming season. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we just concluded a special meeting of our executive council. And uh, Tim Linnefelt will be happy to know that the, the council did vote retain. to retain Tim instead of moving on to Lane. So our Seminoles.com insider remains Tim Linnefelt. But the vote was close, <laughs> and, and we had to go to the tiebreaker. Yes, but uh, congratulations, Tim, as we say hello on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. How are you, sir? I don't, I don't want to be told how you guys voted. It might color my opinions of you. Well, what about the army of thousands that comprise the rest of the council? I mean, exactly. these, these are influential people. Well, I think we uh, we can see by the fact that I'm on here how that turned out. So I'll uh, I'll rest easy. Oh, oh, yes, we're gonna play that card. <laughs> as I as I mentioned, uh, Tim joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. All right, Tim, Keith and I just concluded the uh, first segment of the show. We went game by game, and we went out on a big fat limb and boldly predicted that FSU will either be 12-0 and this year or not. So do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I think so. I think that seems pretty uh, pretty reasonable, particularly at this early stage of the of the season. Yeah, twelve and zero or not twelve and zero, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. We, did, we did have a disagreement, uh, a, 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 a war of words, if you will, because I interpreted some of what Tom said that we the first four games would be a shutout, and he was trying to say no, they would just be wins. But uh, so, what's your feelings about whether the first four games might be a shutout? Well, they could be. You know, look, you're going to start every game with a shutout. That's one of the neat things about it. So, uh, yeah, to, to borrow from Bobby Bowden, as long as the other team doesn't score, you got it. Yeah, to be fair, what I said is, as we're here right now, nobody has scored a point against Florida State. And, and that'll remain true, at least until September. Yeah, we got a, we got a long time with that being true. 
so your general thoughts, reaction to the schedule. We knew who the opponents were, and we knew there would be five road games because FSU's going to Notre Dame. We knew there was a Monday night opener against Virginia Tech and that the season would end against Florida. But general thoughts uh, now that we know the rest of the parts and pieces. Well, it's uh, it, it's pretty tough, uh, right? I, I don't know. It might be uh, a little less daunting than last season by virtue of the fact that Alabama is no longer on the schedule. But when you swap out Duke in the Coastal for Virginia Tech, uh, that, that ups the degree of difficulty as well. Uh, a few thoughts. One, that Virginia Tech game feels really important, doesn't it? You know, just for the, the overall tone to start the season. Uh, when you look back at the games that, that will come later in the, in the year in the conference slate, uh, banking that early win against Virginia Tech to me feels like a pretty big deal. Uh, and then there's those, those two road swings uh, at Louisville and at Miami uh, is going to be a challenge. Uh, and then at NC State and at Notre Dame later in the season, uh, those are those are pretty serious back-to-back road trips. Uh, the NC State Notre Dame swing also comes after playing Clemson. So you're going to play Clemson, NC State, and Notre Dame in a three-week span. Uh, that's not going to be easy. Uh, so you know uh, you're, you're going to find out what this team's made of. I think from a fan's perspective, it's pretty awesome. Like there's some really cool games on there. Uh, obviously, having Clemson in Florida at, at home is always a nice thing. Going to Notre Dame is a, a pretty unique and special place, uh, a special event for for any college football fan. Uh, there's a lot of marquee games on this schedule, and uh, I think it's a challenging schedule, but uh, you know that's kind of what we're here for, right? Uh, the comment can be made that if you were not coming off of seven and six season and did not have a first-year head coach, that this is a schedule that could get you into the playoff. Yeah, I, I, well, I think they can all get you into the playoff at this point, right? <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're playing in, in a Power Five, you're playing in the ACC, uh, and given the ACC's place uh, – you know, with the the improvements that the league has made, uh, pretty much you know top to bottom, yeah. If, if you if you have a, a big year, win the ACC, only lose one or two games, then yeah, you get the playoff. But so yeah, like look, even coming off a seven and six season with a new head coach, like, yeah, you if you have the, the right kind of success with this schedule, there's no doubt you're going to be in the playoff. So two things: one, Keith. And we revisit this. Remember when the playoffs started, everybody was afraid that the ACC was going to be the one left out. Now here we are, and it's gone the other way. The ACC has been near the top. Some of that Florida State early on, and most of it Clemson of late. Um, but the other point I was going to make is that there will not be expect high expectations nationally for this FSU team, Tim. So if Florida State does get some momentum behind them, if things go well, they become what Miami was this past year. All of a sudden, oh, how in the world did they win at Louisville and at Miami back-to-back? And the next thing you know, you're number nine in the country, and it's mid-October, and you're right in line. Well, no, I, I agree with you on that. In fact, I would take it a step further. Look, it, you kind of saw it with Miami, right? People want for like the heavyweight programs to be good. If Florida State is 6-0 and after that, that uh, Miami game, which is in the realm of possibility, I mean, they're, they're probably going to be top five. Uh, you know, at that point, you'd have beaten Virginia Tech, you'd have beaten Louisville, you'd have beaten Miami. Uh, you know, at the midway point of the season, going into your bye week, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance that they're they're even higher than higher than what you were saying there. Um, and, and yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that, that happens. But like, I think, I mean, look, it's even coming off a of seven and six season, we still think there's a talented roster. We still think that you know, Willie Taggart is a, is a good coach who can figure out some good things to do with this roster. You know, all these games, there's not a single game on Florida State's schedule, but I would look at it and say, oh, gosh, I don't know how they could win that game. I don't think that's a winnable game. There isn't one, and there hasn't been one, quite frankly, uh, in, in several years. I think that's still true. The, you know, the question, as always, is there's just so many uh, of those types of challenging games. You know, almost the law of averages sort of suggests that they're going to have a hard time in, in one or two or maybe more of them as last season showed us. But, yeah, they, they absolutely could uh, you know, go on a run and, 
and be right back in the thick of the national conversation uh, sooner than maybe we think. And it's not like a Miami situation either where, you know, they've been waiting for several years to have a season like the one they had last year. You know, Florida State's blip on the radar, at least on to this point, hasn't been nearly as prolonged as uh, someone like Miami's or take it, uh, take it also in the state of Florida as, as the University of Florida's. Well, I think you make a very good point in that you trade Duke for Virginia Tech, and while Virginia Tech has been down with the exception of the last couple of years for a five-year period, they're back playing their brand of ball. Uh, Louisville, obviously, you've got to think, is going to fall off a little bit with uh, with uh, a new quarterback, but you never know. And certainly revisiting um, Louisville, you know, if it were 24 months after the debacle that was, uh, what, 2016. Uh, I think that the, the interesting thing to me is we're getting back uh, Tim to what us old timers would consider uh, the schedule is supposed to be. You're supposed to play Miami, you know, the fourth or fifth game of the year. Let's just say the first weekend in October. That's that game, and then you save Clemson towards the latter part of the schedule. So hopefully both teams have got a good role going, and and the ACC gets spotlighted. Obviously that Notre Dame game is going to be a little bit of an aberration. But as Tom and I talked the last time Florida State traveled up there, the the outcome was very advantageous to FSU. You. And then yeah, you're, you're always a finishing with Florida. So, I mean, this is the schedule, I think, the way we we want it to be. No Thursday night games, no Friday night games. You do have the Samford game, and you do play the three games in the first 12 days of the season. But that's just a byproduct of getting the opportunity to expose your program on uh, on uh, on Labor Day night. No, exactly right. And, you know, to take it back, the, those two uh, back-to-back road swings, uh, you know, you, you can look at those and say, gosh, those are going to be challenging. But the other side of that is that you could be playing at Raleigh or at Louisville or at Miami uh, in the third week of the season coming off a stretch in which you played two games in five days and three and 12 or whatever it is. You know, would you would you rather do that or would you rather go to Syracuse? Because you're going on the road that weekend for a conference game, you know, no matter what, pretty much with the way the schedule falls. And, you know, so in a sense, I, I see where those those road trips later in the season, you know, could, could, uh, could maybe you maybe – you know, give you some pause, but at the same time, uh, you know, having at Syracuse early in the season, given that you're going to be playing a compressed schedule, uh, you could call that an advantage as well. I'm right where you are on that, Tim. As you look at these games, if you take them in isolation, is there any place you can put at Miami on the schedule where, where you're going to feel better about the game? I mean, do you really feel better about it if it's not the week after at Louisville? Maybe slightly, maybe. I mean, the only time it might be is you've had a bye before it somehow if you right. had two byes in a season. Right. So maybe, yeah, but the, you know, like the Clemson game is after Wake Forest, not after a bye. But if it was after a bye, Clemson would have its bye too. I think the bigger thing that I see is when you look at the crossover games, and this is what you just said and, and what, what Tim started with, Nobody in the league's playing tougher crossover tandem than what FSU is. So when you line up Clemson and Louisville and look at who they're playing from the coastal and compare it to FSU, tougher putt for FSU, no question. All that said, Tim, no Thursday games, no Friday games. We, what are we going to complain about this year? <laughs> I'm sure we'll find something. Well, I'm, I'm sure we will. We, do, we have a Monday game, right? No, I think, Yeah, but... Go ahead. Well, as I say, the, the thing about that, I mean, it, it compresses on the back end, but you do have all offseason to prepare for it, so that helps. Yeah, which leads to my little, uh, how often do I do this? Maybe every six months I point out. I think that, so. Yeah, but if FSU wants to play a Thursday night game or is going to be forced to, they should back it up from Labor Day and play Labor Day Thursday, the first night of college football season, get two days extra break before your second game, which is the Saturday after Labor Day. 
get it out of the way, check the box for the ACC. You know, the problem with that is you only bring that up once every six months. You should bring that up once a month, and maybe it'll gain some traction. Well, maybe that's a problem. Tim, what else you want to add about the schedule? Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's a, a pretty good one. And, you know, the, the overall thing that I think, you know, we talked for so long, the Florida State fans talked for so long about, you know, the idea of, of the ACC improving and getting better and, and carrying its weight. Well, we're here, you know, like to kind of take it back to what we were talking about is, you know, when do you want to play Miami? When do you want to play Louisville? When do you want to play Clemson? And even, you know, operating under the idea that some of those teams could take a step backward uh, based on personnel that they're losing. Like, they're, you know, those are still going to be challenging games, particularly on the road. And it's like, look, you got to play them. Like, when you play them does matter to a degree, but no matter what, you're going to play it sometime, and it's going to be a challenge, you know, challenging game. And, you know, sometimes you only have 12 weeks and you have, you know, so many conference games to play. Uh, it's, it's unavoidable sometimes to play. That you're you're going to have to play two challenging teams back to back, or three challenging teams back to back. The way Florida State's going to have to uh, when it plays Clemson, NC State, and Notre Dame. It's just the way it's going to be. Uh, you know, we're here. I mean, you know, the ACC uh, it, it's placed in, in the college football world that you know, almost you know would have been almost unthinkable ten years ago. But I mean, this is one of the the premier, most respected conferences uh, in in the country. And it's, if it's a step or two behind uh, the SEC, it's not far, and, and certainly on par with the Big Ten. And so. Uh, that's all well and good. It adds to prestige and it adds to you know, the, the cloud of the league. And when you accomplish something in it and you win uh, the ACC, that's all a great thing. But the uh, the other side of it is it's harder to win. Those games are hard. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing with the schedule. Tim, thank you as always. You got it, guys. Folks, go to Seminoles.com for complete analysis of Florida State's 2018 football schedule. Or stay tuned and listen to Keith and I continue to dissect what lies ahead here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ. Thanks to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, for joining us as always. You know, he got, he got lucky, quite frankly, because... You know, he failed to sh- report for duty last week, and he could have gotten Wally pipped. I mean, we could have just gone back to Lane. Uh, no question. And Lane was quite, quite good in his um, appearance. So uh, maybe we should backdoor that information to Linnefelt and see if his game cannot continue to improve. What do you think? I think that's uh, good counsel. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a conversation coming up that's uh, sort of – and. Uh, there's really not a better way to put it. I'll probably use this term again, but it's how the sausage is made. And uh, the NCAA convention is going on, which is creation of policy, which is what we do in higher ed. And when you get a bunch of institutions together, and so it's not sexy. It's another. There's another word for it in the private sector, uh, bureaucracy. There's that word too. But we're going to have Jim Curry, Associate Athletics Director at Florida State, join us. He's in Indianapolis. He'll give us uh, sort of a sneak preview, a scouting report, if you will, on some of the key issues that will come up, of which there are some key issues, like the redshirt rule, uh, which for, forever the NCA, I, I think one of the faults, and this is not just NCA, it's any bureaucracy. You get these big entities together. It's hard to evolve. It's hard to get well, it's hard across. to get 340, hard to get consensus. people to say the same thing. Yeah, it's hard to get consensus and move things. But we're in a landscape now where 
more and more players are sitting out bowl games. So that helps the argument to say this redshirt rule to change should change to something like what's been proposed. You could get credit for a redshirt even if you played four games over the course of the year. Well, let's go back and set the standard. And we've not researched the actual, but for our listeners, you have to declare or or eliminate your eligibility in a given season, I think by the third ball game. And then there are a number of snaps, percentage of snaps or whatever. So by game three, the – institution's got to make a decision whether you're going to be a candidate for redshirt or not. Once that decision is made, you quit dressing. You may travel with the team, but you're not playing. So come bowl time, if if the two best running backs, let's say Chubb and, and uh, Michelle had done this year, this year, although they wouldn't have because Georgia was playing in the playoff, but let's say you had two senior running backs that thought they were going to be draft eligible. Uh, as juniors, excuse me, junior running backs, thought they were going to be draft eligible, say to – the team look we're not playing in the bowl game well now you've got this freshman or or even a sophomore that hasn't played for seven or eight games may have played a little bit in the first three games but he's got his red shirt well now the term that's used for him to play in the bowl game or to be eligible to play in the bowl game you have to burn that red shirt and he, he forfeits the entire year of eligibility right. Under one of the proposals, we don't know what's going to be ultimately passed, but under one of the proposals, you can play in any four games during the year, and you can still be eligible for a red shirt. So you might play in the first game or the first two games, and you know you're fifth on the depth chart, and they decide we're going to red shirt you. But then injuries occur in the fifth game and sixth game, and then in the championship game, someone else gets hurt. But by the time you run around to the bowl game, you've only got two eligible running backs left. You could have that player participate in the bowl game, but still receive his red shirt. That's the long answer to the no, short thank you for, four for five. Thank you for explaining it. And to me, that one makes too much sense, but who knows what they'll do with it behind closed doors. Yeah, the more likely scenario, take a kid like DJ Matthews, who didn't red shirt, he played, but he became more prominent and had a more prominent role as the season went on. But you have a guy who maybe he's not ready week one, week two, but he goes through September and October and come mid-November, you know what? He's got everything down. So we play him the last three weeks and he's eligible for the bowl game. Uh, that one makes a lot of sense to me. Anyway, we're going to have that conversation about the red shirt rule. There's talk about changing the transfer rule, uh, health care costs for, for injury situations that extend or rehabilitation that extends beyond your, your expiration of eligibility expiration of eligibility so we'll talk with jim curry uh coming up in just a moment we you and i have not talked uh because the schedule was released today about your your latest trip to chestnut hill which i think the result on the scoreboard probably tells the story but it i'll stop there i i, I don't have an answer uh and and maybe there are hundreds if not thousands of people that think that i should have an answer uh as the analyst i i know there's been two issues with this basketball team a propensity to get down by double digits early in a ball game, and a propensity to not play well in the first five seven minutes of the second half. Well, Florida State; those are not good propensities. Those are not that leads to problems. Well, Florida State got down by twenty one, I think it was at one point to Boston College, and we go into halftime, we're down by thirteen or fifteen, whatever it was, and I'm sitting there with Deckerhoff, and and we both have this look on our face. If we come out flat. In their first five or seven minutes of this ball game, they're going to run us out of the gym. This is going to be a thirty or thirty-five point win. Well, Florida State came back and played well, it's, and and they got close. So so 
which which of those two things need to get corrected? Answer both. How do you correct them? I don't know. Leonard hadn't asked me, and I don't have a good answer for him. It's too simple an analysis, but it feels like the opposite problem of a year ago where you had go-to guys that would take the shot. You work the ball, it gets in Dwayne Bacon's hand. He's going to pull the trigger and take the shot. Right now, we got unselfish guys who are talented, but they're not necessarily the guy. So you rotate the ball, fake the three, you reverse the ball, shot clock goes down. Finally, it ends up in Angola's hand, and you, ha- you shoot because you have to shoot. Right. Whoever whoever has the ball with four seconds left becomes the go-to guy. Right. Now, now I will. C.J. Walker's passed both ways six times. Okay, now it's back to me. I'm going to take the three this time. Now, to be fair, Florida State did have the double overtime game against Syracuse on yeah. Saturday. And B.C. played Dartmouth. Yeah. Hmm. And then travel on Sunday, and then ball game Monday, uh, Monday evening. And, and I think it is fair that fatigue played a, a, a part. Although we're still like halfway through the year, you know, three fifths of the way through the year. Um, I, I think for me personally, the fatigue was more mental than it was physical because that was a very tough game against Syracuse. Then you got to regroup, you got to get on a plane. Uh, we left a little earlier than normal on Sunday, so you're spending more time away. Um, play on a Monday night, yeah. and it was cold as you know what. I know we play in the gym. I think that but it, was. It's still a dreary place Boston can be. Um, I think there were a lot of reasons why, but those two issues, and then who's the go to guy at the end? We'll make it three. Those three issues have certainly got to be addressed in the next one. we got left 12, 12 conference games uh, as you get ready for the ACC tournament, hopefully the NCAA tournament. Those spouts of, of drought in the first half, inability to refocus after halftime and find somebody to be the go-to guy other than the one holding the ball with four seconds left are going to be issues that have to be addressed. So sitting at two and four in the league, the question is – it's two questions, really, Keith. Do you think that Florida State needs to be at 500 in the conference to get in the tournament? Do they need to be 9-9? Nine and nine? Uh, I, I, The answer to that, Tommy, unfortunately says, where's everybody else? Yeah. See, there's been times when your top two or three teams in the conference only had one or two losses. I'm not sure that's going to be the case this year. You, you may be able to win the conference this year with three losses. Although Virginia looks pretty doggone. I understand, but the, you know there's still games to yeah, play. But no, your point is right. Or, or, we don't, we don't or know. there's only one team with no losses or one loss, and then all the second place teams have five losses. So that that impacts so we don't know. whether but, whether nine and nine is a necessity or whether eight and and ten is okay. Because what what the committee I think will end up doing is relying this year in particular a little bit more on the RPI, not necessarily on the one loss. And if you go look at the RPI, and, and, and if, if the ACC should get 9 or 10 or 11 teams into the tournament, what's important for Florida State is they be 8th or ninth if there's 9 or, or, or whatever. I, you know, I, I don't think this is a year that Florida State's going to finish second in the ACC and get a number 3 uh, bid to the NCAA tournament. It could happen, but it's not likely to happen. So the answer to your question, you know, I, I think stay tuned. I, I think eight and 10 might do it if everybody else falls back like we're expecting. We'll just have to wait and see. I do think that the optics will always be bad for the committee when they let teams in from big conferences with sub 500 conference I, marks. I, I think there's a benchmark there that they do pay attention to that, so, that is hurtful. Yes. So that said, and you just explained that we have no idea where the bar will be. But if we operate under the assumption that you need to go 9-9 nine and nine in conference if you're FSU, 
then they have to go seven and five the rest of the way. Which, now, by the way, interrupt you. If you look at the remaining schedule, doable. that's very doable. That's very what I was going to say. We, we have to not let the way the schedule was front-loaded get out of hand. The crowd was – I was not at the Louisville game, heard the crowd was great, was at the Syracuse game, crowd was great. My fear is that people uh, check out – de-engage, de-invest right now, and it's the time when Florida State's basketball team needs the exact opposite. And I know it's another road game this week, but this is not the time to abandon ship. This is the time to rally the troops. Very much so. I'm going to throw as many cliches in as I can because I've made this argument forever, and the home atmosphere has been great the last year and a half. If you look back at a lot of years where FSU missed the tournament by one game, maybe two, you go find that home schedule, and you can find one game they lost by three points or one point. With 5,000 people in the stands. With 5,000 and no home court edge. So... You know, if you're one that goes every game, I'm preaching to the choir. If you're one who doesn't, uh, I get it. It's the chicken and the egg argument. I'm just saying I would hate to be sitting at 8 and 10 come mid-March and know that one of those 10 losses was by three points at home because it was a not a great crowd, sort of a sterile environment environment compared to what it could be. Well, I, I will say this. If you're wanting to go somewhere to do something for entertainment value – Win or lose, this edition of the Florida State basketball team, <coughs> pardon me, this edition, Tommy, is is worth the investment. They're fun to watch. Whether they lose by six or they win by 13 or it's a one-point ball game like it was against uh, North Carolina, this group is fun to watch. This is not the old-school Leonard Hamilton no, no, teams no, they, of the past. Yeah. They, they play offense. They get after it. They hustle. They're on the floor. Even, even the game against Syracuse, where it was three two at halftime, wound up being a hundred to ninety. Wasn't quite. It was three two at the first television timeout. You're correct. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back and uh, we'll bounce away from basketball. We'll get into the NCAA policy discussion. Uh, a lot of things that could have significant impact on the field in future years. We'll have that discussion uh, when we continue. I will remind you, though, that uh, our good folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener are who you should visit if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished. Say hello to Ron and his knowledgeable staff. They've got a couple locations, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can dial them up at 580-1200. I guess you just you don't really dial. You just tell Siri to call that number. Hey, Siri, call Ron. Call 580-1200. Yeah, hopefully he's programmed in there as Ron. You can visit him online at ctf.nu, and we appreciate Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Jim Curry joins us next. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. I had the radio on. I was driving. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks for tuning in. Tom and KJ with you. And uh, we will go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Talk a little policy. Nothing gets the listening audience uh, increased. They're excited, like like talking NCAA policy. How about, how about the guy behind the scenes that wields all the power that nobody knows who he is? Jim Curry is on the line, Associate Athletics Director at FSU. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. 
you know, we joke the uh, how the sausage is made is never the most interesting part. But these the, these things that will be discussed as the uh, NCAA convention gets underway are uh, significant changes or, or non changes potentially. And uh, I know a little bit about what's going on. Let's I, let's start with the redshirt rule. And you're in Indianapolis. How long are is the convention? It starts uh, today. It starts Wednesday, Thursday. How long are you there? Yeah. So, so there were some there were some committee meetings that began yesterday. It really starts in earnest today and will conclude uh, on Friday. And this is where uh, you get all the leaders from across the country together and, uh, and basically talk pros and cons and on, on areas that need to be tweaked or improved or uh, not changed or what have you. And one of them that, that's drawn a lot of conversation lately, particularly with guys who are opting to skip bowl games because they're turning pro, is this idea of adjusting the redshirt rule to something where you could play any four games over the course of the year or what have you. Is that, is that something that's going to be uh, on the agenda this weekend? And what's the latest there? Yeah, so it's certainly a concept that will be discussed this week. Uh, it is not up for a vote until the April session, um, but it will certainly generate a lot of discussion this week. Um, just as you touched on, uh, the concept is to allow for uh, student-athletes to participate in four games, uh, any four games during the year uh, without uh, using a season of competition. Um, there's a lot of discussion going on about how that would apply or not apply um, to bowl games or mid-year enrollees. So I think there's some discussion that wants to take place relative to that. Uh, as you could probably imagine, if you were uh, recruiting a young man to enroll in January to then be immediately eligible for postseason competition and then wouldn't use a season of competition, that would be an incredibly uh, interesting uh, scenario to see play out uh, and, and create some interesting recruiting scenarios uh, relative to the early signing period in football. So uh, obviously a lot of details that still got to get worked out um, but certainly the concept is uh, is generating a lot of discussion. Jim, KJ here. Another topic that's been talked about, at least in the media and at the fan level, uh, kind of not something that the coaches like to discuss, but this whole concept of the transfer rule. Uh, we know that uh, graduates, if you have your degree uh, and you have eligibility remaining, you're eligible to transfer but what about the the undergraduates what's the what's the conversation like and what do you think might be uh, in the future short term uh, under that topic yeah definitely um it, it's certainly a conversation that uh is ongoing um there has been some um broad-based communications across a number of different groups student athletes um, staff coaches administrators uh, faculty athletic reps uh, to try to get their hands around this issue. And obviously it's a complicated one. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we're starting to see is one, I think that, that one of the concepts that's picking up steam is the idea that kids can uh, initiate their own release. Uh, it's a model that is currently in place in Division III. Um, and uh, I think they're trying to find some um, concept that can work in Division I uh, that's kind of in the same vein. Um, another thing that they're spending a lot of time talking about is the idea of preventing schools from blocking transfers to other institutions and at the same time not tying athletic scholarship uh, to those permission to contact. So right now, the, the, where the rule is set up is uh, you have to request permission to contact specific institutions. Um, your, your home institution can uh, block the specific schools. There's an appeal process. Uh, how fruitful those appeal processes are vary among institutions. Uh, but at the same time, that permission to contact at, at institutions is tied to the ability to receive athletic scholarship. And so th that's a little unsettling for a lot of folks. And so that's generated a lot of conversation in the interest of student well-being. 
uh, and access to educational opportunities, other schools. So um, I, I do anticipate there being some action there uh, later this year. But, um, you know, one of the things that continues to be uh, uh, an ongoing conversation is uh, the one-time transfer rule, the ability to be immediately eligible upon transfer. We certainly have that in some sports now and not in others. Uh, there is an appetite among some for some uniformity in that rule, uh, one way or the other. Uh, and, and, and with that, it's generated some conversation about tying academic success to uh, the idea of immediate eligibility and really incentivizing uh, individuals who transfer uh, for, for, for sound academic progress. Uh, and, and part of the rationale for that is really tied to uh, – unequivocal data that suggests transferring institutions has a negative impact on degree progress. Um, and so, so, so if I can interject there for our listeners, yep. what we're saying is I, I'm a junior at Florida State, and I'm not getting playing time. I'm, I'm on the third team. But if I'm a 3.5 student, that may give me the opportunity to transfer because I've proved myself academically uh, and give me the opportunity to go somewhere else and prove myself athletically. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that that is certainly one of the concepts that's being discussed. And I picked that number. That may not be the right GPA number, but... Uh, your GPA was higher than that. Uh, yes, it was, now that you mention it. <laughs> so is your 40 time, though. <laughs> so is everybody's 40. Jim, I'm curious, Do you, when you go, does every institution get one vote? Do you go with sort of an agenda that's decided upon at the conference level? Uh, uh, you know, And where does FSU or the ACC stand on the two issues we've talked about so far? Yeah, so... Um, you know, there's, so we had a governance change uh, within the NCAA a few years ago, and that was, that's what created the really the Power Five or the autonomy group, um, and, and, it, and it subdivided the voting sessions as well. So the January session really became um, some time-sensitive issues, but more so the Power Five autonomy agenda, and that's what we'll vote on this week. Um, that agenda is not as meaty as maybe what it was in the past. Um, some of the concepts we've voted on before are – uh, cost of attendance measures, um, time demands, and, and things of that ilk. Uh, this year, there's some concepts re- relative to uh, a uniform standard of medical care uh, that extends beyond exhausting eligibility that's got some broad support. Uh, most schools are already doing that, but this would codify it. But outside of that, the autonomy agenda is uh, fairly light relative to previous years. Uh, once we get to April, there's another session in April um, where uh, where the, the Division One Council will meet and vote on uh, a bulk of proposals. Uh, the, the football agenda is usually included in that uh, as well. Um, and, uh, and, and so there's some, there's some different voting mechanisms as well. So with the autonomy vote, every school's got a vote. Um, and then there's also a body of 15 student athletes that also have votes as well. And it's kind of one school, one vote. And, and for those student athletes that, that represent each of the five Power Five conferences, three from each conference, uh, they have one vote that is equal to the same weight as an institution. And if you recall, a couple of years ago, Wilson Bell from our football team was uh, one of the three ACC representatives on that group. Uh, when you get to April, the vote is weighted uh, relative to uh, conference. And so the Power Five has a little bit more weighting vote than the group of five, which has a little bit more weighting vote than FCS which has a little bit more weighting power, or voting power or weight than uh, non-football schools. Well, let's let you uh, put your uh, crystal ball, get your crystal ball out. What, what, what do you think the topics will be in April that are football-related and Florida State-affected? 
Um, well, I think the big one that will come up is some renewed discussion about uh, early recruiting um, across all sports. Um, there is a lot of discussion ongoing here at the convention, but in advance of this over the last couple of years about trying to curb some of the early recruiting activity. And really what we're getting at is the, the seventh and eighth grade offers, the early unofficial visits, the, the commitments prior to the junior year. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a feeling out there that's, can, that's growing that that may not be the healthiest recruiting environment. And then we talked about the transfer rules before, and, and there's a feeling that those are all kind of interconnected in different ways. So, um, you know, lacrosse, uh, interestingly enough, and we don't sponsor lacrosse, of course, but uh, passed some very radical rule changes uh, relative to early recruiting last year. Some other sports have seen this. Um, lacrosse continues to enjoy it. Uh, and now it appears that softball may try to adopt the same rules effective immediately. And in essence, what it would do is eliminate any recruiting activity prior to the junior year. Um, and so we'll continue to see how that morphs and evolves, but th- it's certainly picking up some steam. Um, you know, on the, on the football side of the house, there's still continue to be discussions about, um, about non-coaching staff limits and what that looks like. I'm not sure we'll actually see a vote in April on that at this point although the Football Oversight Committee, which uh, our, our Vice President and Athletics Director Stan Wilcox is a member of, um, they are meeting today uh, and yesterday and today at the convention. Um, so we'll kind of see what their agenda looks like. Uh, and then from there, we'll vote on the, uh, the, the redshirt rule in football. Uh, there's another redshirt rule that will be applicable to all sports, uh, kind of uh, interrelated but not exactly the same that you voted on. Um, and so those are probably the things that stand out in April. Talking with Jim Curry, Associate Director of Athletics at uh, Florida State, who's in Indianapolis for the NCAA convention. Uh, you know, another topic, and as I as I introduce it, Jim, I don't even know where Florida State is currently on this, but with with the with players not being compensated, and and obviously in recent years they've they've gotten cost of attendance. I say players, student athletes, to use the NCAA term. Um, there's also discussion about ongoing medical costs, i.e. I hurt my knee when I was a junior at FSU, but now it's 10 years later and I really can't walk or I'm having ongoing lingering issues. I know that's a, a, a big topic. Where is Florida State right now? If somebody on the 2002 team, whatever sport, is having ongoing issues, is that covered by FSU? Or are they on their own? How is that handled? Yeah, so I, I think that's, a, that's really an individual analysis. Um, and obviously the further out you go, the, the harder it is to be able to directly tie it to an athletic injury that occurred while a student athlete was participating. But I, I will say this generally, and I've got some specific examples over the last couple of years that I can think of. Um, I think we've done an outstanding job here at Florida State of ensuring that uh, any student athlete who's injured as a result of their participation in athletics um, receives um, uh, uh, treatment and uh, rehabilitation to the point of, of, of full recovery. Uh, and like I said, there, there's a number of specific examples I can think of off the top of my head over the last couple of years. Uh, this would include individuals who may even be graduated and, and, uh, and we pay for their costs to remain in the locale of the institution to uh, see their rehab through. Um, you know, I don't think Florida State is alone in that. We've, we've, as an industry, we've studied that issue um, and have found that across the Power Five, at, at the least, at the very least, um, that that's a similar approach uh, that most institutions are taking. The Pac-12 codified 
um, in, in their bylaws a couple years ago, uh, a mandatory um, access to medical care for athletic injuries uh, four years beyond the expiration of their eligibility. And um, what we're talking about at convention uh, this week actually is voting a similar concept into place that would require at least two years. Um, and again, I, it, it, one of the things that worries me a little bit about that concept is that you know, we're going to vote on it, and I'm sure it'll pass, and it will be codified in the legislation. Uh, and there'll be this suggestion that that may not be happening right now, so we need to vote on it and make a rule. When, when in fact, um, the work that was done outside of the NCA by uh, some independent researchers found that that, in fact, is occurring uh, across the Power Five uh, and is already in place. Well, I'd like to add one more item to that. I think there should be mandatory weight loss counseling available <laughs> to former athletes for a lifetime. Well, you're looking at me kind of crazy there, Tom. I just wasn't sure where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us suffer from other problems, Jim. That's what I'm trying to say. Perhaps that's the motion we can make on the floor this week. Understood. Really what Keith's <laughs> saying, Jim, is that there is somebody needs to do a study, if they haven't already, that shows that the small players get bigger when they're done and the big players get smaller when they're correct and now we all weigh the same <laughs> jim thanks for thanks for trying to put some light on I, you know the process can be tedious at times uh to our listeners maybe it's not the most interesting but it will be interesting in future years it has impact when all of a sudden a kid plays three games a year and he plays in the bowl game yet it's still a red shirt season so i mean uh it definitely has impact thank you for your time yeah no problem guys appreciate it thank safe you travels much. safe travels all right, uh, Associate Athletics Director at uh, FSU, Jim Curry. Who you didn't like my suggestion? No, I was just contemplating that, that sideline reporters probably need to get looped into that, too, <laughs> is what I was thinking. All right, we'll step aside, come back, and uh, try to react uh, or digest. Uh, I don't know what we can add to that. Digest, good, good digest. use of the term. Yes, exactly. All right, we'll step aside more on Front Row Knowles right after this. We don't need no thought control. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Okay, we put the wraps on it. Thanks to Jim Curry and Tim Linnefelt. KJ, you and I were talking about trips to Boston not being fruitful for basketball and, and, and football this past year. And lo and behold, I hadn't even seen this. But the Boston Red Sox today announced two back-to-back days of college baseball at Fenway Park. Army-Navy on April 20th. Our listeners don't care. B.C., Florida State, April 21st, 3 o'clock, Fenway Park. Lulu gets to call a game from Fenway. I'm jealous, another, Lulu. Another opportunity to maybe get a win in Beantown. And that's a great time of year to go to Boston, by the way. So maybe we could do front row Knowles remote. Let us talk. We could have our executive council get with the powers that be here and see if that works. Okay. Anyway, that's cool. Yep. I have, speaking of things that I'm going to lobby for on more than an every six-month basis, like that playing a Thursday night game before Labor Day, um, playing Boston College in football at Fenway Park. Let's make that happen, too. I mean, if we're going to go up there anyway, let's play at Fenway. How about a doubleheader? We're going to lose 38-7. to Let's do it at Fenway. Whatever the score was, we're done. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles.
missing what I 